Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. Kingdom Hearts has always been kind of a weird series. It's got a cult following, and there's a high barrier to entry for new fans of the series. Even people who do like Kingdom Hearts have admitted that the overall story is very confusing. So, with Kingdom Hearts 3 on the way, and an influx of people who will probably want to give it a shot but won't really understand a whole lot, I thought I'd try to take this time to maybe clear a few things up. So, this will be kind of an intro guide to Kingdom Hearts. It won't be too comprehensive. I'm just gonna hit most of the big notes, because, I mean, for one, I didn't play the mobile game, and two, there are fans who are even more dedicated than me, so they would probably explain it better, but I'm familiar with most of the games, basically all of them except the mobile one, and like I said, it's just kind of an intro guide, so I think I can at least get you started if you're still struggling to kind of figure out what's going on in the series. So, sit back, and let's listen to me try to explain a 16-year-old RPG. And of course, spoiler warnings. First things first, what is Kingdom Hearts? It's an action RPG that belongs to Disney, but Square Enix does the legwork. In the game, you take control of a character who wields a special weapon called a Keyblade. The Keyblade can do basically anything the plot needs it to do. While you're doing this, you're visiting levels based on different Disney movies. The Disney levels are referred to as worlds, and the worlds are all separate from each other, almost like different planets. Visiting these worlds is an episodic thing. The stories of each Disney movie don't interconnect in overt ways. There might be some subtle threads, but nothing too big. In each Disney world, you'll fight off some creepy monsters, and sometimes even the movie villains themselves. You do this for a while until you get to the end of the game and face off with some version of a man named Xehanort. He's the big bad guy, and different versions of him tend to show up as the final boss of each game, or at least a boss close to the end. There are also characters from Final Fantasy, and they get to do a little more important stuff than most of the Disney characters, but... The real stars of the show are all the original characters introduced in Kingdom Hearts itself. Also, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy. The most important of the original characters, and the guy who's usually the main character, is a boy named Sora. There are a lot of important terms that get thrown around. The first two are light and darkness. Just like in Star Wars, light and darkness are these two opposing forces that govern existence. Light is good, dark is bad. They try to mix it up a little, but it's generally straightforward. There are three general realms of existence where all the worlds are located. You've got the realm of light, the realm of darkness, and some sort of realm that exists between the two. Most of the action is in the realm of light, maybe a bit of the between realm. So you don't really got to worry about the realm of darkness except special occasions. Another important term is the heart. Hearts aren't really well-defined, but they're basically the spiritual essence that makes up a person's core. And it's not just people. All things can have hearts. Even the worlds themselves have hearts. And if you're an artificial being like Tron, you might not have a heart at first. 
but you can get one over time by experiencing life and friendship. While hearts are important, the series also pays special attention to memories and bodies. Bodies are basically just shells that contain the hearts and memories, though, and are influenced by them. Series creator Tetsuya Nomura has mentioned that souls are also important, but that hasn't really seen a lot of play. All of these concepts I've mentioned are used pretty liberally, and they're not always explained in the moment. You often have to dig around online to get a play-by-play -play of what's going on, and that's really kind of unfortunate. I think if they just took a little more time to lay the rules out, they could avoid a lot of headaches. I mean, the series would still be kind of silly, but it would at least be easier to follow. Now that I've explained some of the important terms, a lot of them come into play in regards to the monsters you fight. Natives from the Realm of Darkness are called Heartless. They extract the hearts from people and consume them, turning the victim into a Heartless as well. It's not as simple as a zombie plague, it's more like if your heart reaches a certain level of darkness, then they'll be able to turn you over. If the victim has a strong force of will, however, their body will still be left behind instead of vanishing. This emptied husk is called a nobody, and while it will often transform into some monochrome freak of nature, sometimes you get to keep your original humanoid form. Since they're the bodies left behind, nobodies have no hearts, so they can't feel emotions. But like I said, they can get emotions if they go out and make friends, but that's a big if. There are other monsters in the series, but Heartless and Nobodies are the most important ones. They have the most consequence, so don't worry too much about the other ones. By the way, killing a Heartless with a Keyblade is the only way to truly finish them off, and their heart will go flying free. If the Nobody is also slain, there's a chance that the original person will reappear. Now, the plot. I'm going to be very broad about this and cover what I think are the big plot beats. Some of the details aren't going to be discussed. While I said I'm not going to talk about the mobile game, I'll say that the story of that is meant to lead into an event called the Keyblade War. So, many of the people who had Keyblades were all going at it, and all that's left now is a graveyard of abandoned Keyblades. This was what split one entire world into the many different worlds we have now. There was an artifact called the Keyblade, which sounds a lot like Keyblade, but it's actually the Greek character Key or Kai. It looks like a big X. It was very, very dumb of them to give the weapon a name that sounds like the other term that gets thrown around a lot. So for clarity, I'm just going to pronounce it Kai. The Kyblade would grant access to Kingdom Hearts itself, a massive cachet of hearts. And with that many hearts, there's no telling what you'd be able to accomplish. Xehanort, our villain, wants the Kai Blade and Kingdom Hearts so he can see what'll happen if there was more darkness in existence. He thinks the balance of light and dark isn't really even enough. To create the Kai Blade, he needs pure light and pure darkness to fight each other. He tried getting a person of each to do it for him, and it almost worked but then it didn't. So now he's doing it like this. Seven good guys with light hearts, and thirteen versions of himself being the dark side. These versions of himself are the big enemies of different games, like I said. 
his original self, his heartless, his nobody, his younger self, it gets crazy. On top of that, he's slowly corrupting a few other people, taking control of them. They're half Xehanort now, so they count as versions of him. You can tell he has influence over them because their name has been anagrammed and with an X thrown in. Meanwhile, the good guys don't have enough good guys. So once they figure out what's going on, they decide that they need to get up to a solid seven, maybe a few extras in reserve, and then they'll have no choice but to face off against the Xehanorts and stop him from messing everything up. And those are the broad strokes of what the overall Kingdom Hearts story is. At least that's the stakes that we have right now. Again, this is really the basic stuff. I didn't describe too many of the characters involved or a lot of the variables at play, but this is more or less what's going on and what's going to happen. But to help out a little further, I'll go game by game and give a similarly broad summary of each of the different Kingdom Hearts games. Just like before, I'll just hit the major stuff. Not going to touch all the little details. First thing I'd like to say is that every game is important. Even if it's not a numbered entry, like 1, 2, or 3, they're all important. Some more than others, but each one does introduce important information. This is a glaring problem for me, because the lack of clarity in having numbered titles versus what's perceived as spin-offs just makes it more likely for people to skip certain games, which can't happen. Not in a series with this much lore and complexity to it. To make matters worse, the games were all originally available for separate consoles and handhelds. But the good news is, in recent years, Kingdom Hearts compilation games have been available for the PS3 and PS4, so getting all the games at once is a much easier process than it used to be. But to make things annoying, the chronological order of games isn't quite the same as when they were released, but we'll cover that. The release order of the series is, not including the mobile game, Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts 358 Days Over 2, or Kingdom Hearts Days for short, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, Kingdom Hearts Recoded, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Fragmentary Passage, and Kingdom Hearts 3. Kingdom Hearts. The first game is simple enough. Sora, the main character, lives on an island with his friends, a boy named Riku and a girl named Kairi. The Heartless destroy his world and scatter the friends. Meanwhile, Donald Duck and Goofy are loyal soldiers to King Mickey Mouse in their own world. Mickey's missing and leaves a note for Donald and Goofy to look for her key bearer. That ends up being Sora. The three of them unite and they begin traveling to different Disney worlds to lock the keyholes of each one so the Heartless can't destroy them. While this is going on, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty has assembled the other Disney villains, and now she's taken Riku under her wing. Also, Kairi is in a heart coma or something. She's out of commission for most of the game. Eventually, Riku upstages Maleficent because he's being controlled by Xehanort's Heartless. The game calls Xehanort's Heartless Ansem, but he stole that name from a good guy named Ansem, which makes things even weirder. Sora beats the Heartless, saves his two friends, gets lost with Donald and Goofy afterward. I should also mention there's a scene where Sora turns himself into a Heartless to save Kairi, but she fixes him. Chain of Memories. 
Sora, Donald, and Goofy end up in a mysterious castle where human-shaped nobodies called Organization 13 reside. Not all 13 of them are there, but the ones who are there all seem to be interested in messing with Sora and his memories. The trio has to work their way through the castle, while a girl named Naminé is forcibly inserted into Sora's memories. By the end of the castle, Naminé is revealed to be a hostage of the organization, and she was the one messing with Sora's memories. Sora beats the master of the castle, Naminé offers to fix everyone's memories, but they have to go into a coma for a year. Meanwhile, there's a B-plot where Riku shows up in the castle and has to deal with being haunted by Xehanort's Heartless. But then he teams up with Mickey and a guy named Diz, and they're going to work on their own plans against the organization while Sora sleeps. Kingdom Hearts 2. We first control a boy named Roxas in a town somewhere, but he realizes his life isn't what it seems at all. It's a computer simulation. Surprise, he was Sora's nobody from that one sacrifice he made. On top of that, he was in league with the organization, but he ran away and had his memories wiped. But Diz shows up and forces him to rejoin with Sora, so he can finally get out of that coma. From there, the story kind of repeats the original game. Sora, Donald, and Goofy go through the Disney worlds to do what they've been doing. Maleficent even comes back. But now, the organization's remaining members are thrown into the mix. Eventually, Sora does reunite with all his friends, and he and Riku take down Xehanort's nobody and get to go home. Also, that guy, Diz, he's the other Ansem, the real one. Kingdom Hearts 358 Days Over 2. This is a side story that details the year Roxas spent with the organization. He goes from being a standard empty husk to getting a personality of his own. The days pass, and he makes two friends. Axel, the lovable rogue introduced in Chain of Memories, and Shion, a mysterious new girl. I'm actually really taken in by the storyline of this game, so I don't want to say too much about what happens. But since it leads into Kingdom Hearts 2, you can bet that Roxas will be captured, put into the simulated town, and since this is a prequel and Shion is never mentioned in Kingdom Hearts 2, you can imagine things won't end well for her. Birth by Sleep. This game is a prequel that takes place ten years before the original. This is where Xehanort's origins and the Kyblade and the Keyblade War are all introduced. Three key bearers named Terra, Ventus, and Aqua go on separate yet interconnected journeys to help set the stage for future events, for better or worse. Terra's story involves being led astray by Xehanort, kind of like Anakin and the Emperor. Ventus tries to chase Terra, but ends up dealing with a weird doppelganger, and the two of them are Xehanort's pawns for making the Kai Blade. Aqua has to be the responsible one and bring her friends back home. Without going too much into detail, all three of the friends have very bittersweet endings to their stories, or even outright bitter if the later games are any indication. Either way, the three friends are separated and incapacitated in various ways, and it's not a fun time for any of them. Recoded. Now we're back after Kingdom Hearts 2. Mickey's home with Donald, Goofy, Minnie, everyone, and he finds a mysterious note in this journal that you've been keeping track of. Somehow they get the bright idea to digitize the journal and explore all the records of the world you visited, like this was Tron. Except the Tron world doesn't actually get included. Anyway, they create a digital version of Sora, and over the course of the game, it gradually gets a heart of its own, which teaches everyone that beings without hearts can grow one. They also learn that there is a way to save Terra, Ventus, and Aqua from the raw deal they got in the other game. I believe there's also a way to save Roxas and Shion. 
This leads into the post-credit scene of Kingdom Hearts 2, where Mickey gives Sora a mysterious letter in a bottle. Dream drop distance. So it turns out Xehanort is fully formed, because he killed his heartless and his nobody, as per the rule. So to deal with that, Sora and Riku are going to prove their strength to Mickey's old trainer to save a bunch of worlds that just barely didn't get saved at the end of the first game. So they go into the dream worlds and get started. But Xehanort's already working on his plan to rebuild the organization, this time with a mix of old members and the versions of himself. He wants to recruit Sora, whether Sora likes it or not. Riku ends up taking center stage for some of the game's most important scenes, and we cap off his redemption arc that we've been seeing him go through since Chain of Memories. By the end, Xehanort shows himself and reveals his plan to get the 13 of himself fighting seven good guys. By the way, has all of this been confusing enough? Because in this game, they add time travel! Because that's always fun! In the interest of fairness, the rules of time travel are explicitly spelled out, and they're actually not too hard to follow. It's just that when you throw that on the growing pile of spiritual weirdness, alternate identities, and homophones, it feels almost insulting that they're trying to add new elements like this, especially one that's as traditionally confusing as time travel. The Fragmentary Passage. This is kind of a last stop before Kingdom Hearts 3. It's Mickey recounting everything that Aqua's been doing since the end of Birth by Sleep. Then Sora, Donald, Goofy, Riku, and Kairi are all instructed on what they'll need to do during Kingdom Hearts 3. And with the exception of the mobile game, that brings us to where we are now. There is no denying it, this series' story and lore is messed up. It has a lot of complexities that it expects the players to keep up with, while at the same time it has this elementary school grade vocabulary. And earlier on, Nomura insisted that Western players can just look up the finer details on the internet, didn't even bother releasing updated versions outside of Japan until recent years. It was a big tangled knot. Uh, but doggone it if I don't love the series all the same. You get those fans who are only there for the gameplay and roll their eyes at the plot, and I can't blame them for that, but that's not me. While the story could be told a heck of a lot better, I've grown attached to these characters. I like seeing Sora pal around with Donald and Goofy and what they'll do next. I like the character arc Riku's had, especially in Dream Drop Distance. I liked a lot of the character interaction in Days between Roxas and his friends. I like seeing how the characters of the Disney movies will react to Sora, Donald, and Goofy. And I want to know what could possibly happen to Xehanort when he's defeated after everything so far has gone his way. Kingdom Hearts 3 will release in early 2019, if it doesn't get delayed again. And while it won't be the final game, it'll be the last one to have to really deal with Xehanort. And I can't wait to see how it goes, warts and all. Once again, I don't claim to know everything about the series. This is kind of your intro to Kingdom Hearts class, if you will. If you'd like to know more, I remember a Tumblr blog named Kingdom Hearts Info Block. And while the writers may be colored by their own opinions, they're generally reliable and have archived information on the series. I might try to do more lore explanation episodes in the future, if I didn't mess this one up too badly. So if you're interested in that, you should consider subscribing to the BitCast on Podcast One or getting the episodes on iTunes. In the meantime, I'll see you on the next one.
Listen to Bidcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.